In honor of Pastor Robert, I want you to open your Bible to two places, all right? Matthew chapter 16 and Acts chapter 12. Matthew 16 and then Acts chapter 12. And I'm going to continue the series today called Free Indeed. I'm in the middle of this. I know Pastor Robert's been teaching on this. And I'm going to continue the sermon series today. And the title of this message is called Open Gates. And that's going to make sense to you in just a moment, hopefully. And I'm really speaking to two different groups of people today. The first group of people I'm talking to this morning is the group of people where you really feel like you're really close to the Lord right now. I mean, you're in a good place. You're hearing the Lord. You feel close to God. God is speaking. You're listening. Uh, If I were to ask you, how are you doing with your walk with God? You'd say, things are good. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's good. I feel like I'm growing. I feel like I'm close to the Lord. It just feels like the sun is on my face and the spiritual winds are at my back. I just feel close to God. And by the way, that should be true for us more often than not. I mean, I think that's the way God designed us is to walk closely with him. He wants to be close to us. There's another group of people, though, that you may feel completely opposite. You may feel trapped, abandoned, feel like maybe you're being suffocated by something right now. You may feel like you're in some kind of prison. Maybe your marriage is not as good as you're making it out to be. Maybe you have a a prodigal child that you wish would come home to the Lord. Maybe your your health, maybe you're getting bad reports from the doctor or something's going on. Maybe your finances have taken this unexpected hit. Maybe something has come around you. It seemed like storm clouds gathered around your life really quickly and it went from sunshine to darkness overnight. You know what's fascinating about the Bible? One of the fascinating things about the scripture is that we see the heroes of our faith in both places in the Bible. Everywhere. I mean, you, you take the, 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 the most famous men and women in the Bible, and without exception, God does not hide us from their humanity. I mean, look, for example, at King David. He goes from slaying Goliath, hero of the nation. Fast forward, he's an adulterous murderer. I mean, we see David, King David, really close to God, a man after God's own heart, God called him to being someone that had to be confronted by a prophet and told to repent for adultery and murder. I mean, you look throughout the Bible, the heroes of our faith found themselves in both places that I just described, close to God, near to God, distant from God, in dark prison cells. Peter is one of my favorites. Peter the Apostle is one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. And if there was anybody that went up and down in the Bible who went from darkness to light, mountaintop to the valley of the shadow of death, it was Peter. I mean, Peter was the first one when Jesus walked out on the water and he called for the disciples to come join him. It was Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. I mean, he was the only one that stepped out of that boat. He took a couple of steps. He began to sink, but all the other disciples stayed in the boat. It was Peter that was bold. Matthew chapter 16, we're about to find Peter at his absolute best. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus begins to look at a very large crowd of people who are following him, and he begins to talk to them about serving and sacrifice as the way of following Jesus. The crowds wanted miracles and signs and wonders. Entertain us, the crowd said. Jesus said, no, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. If you're going to follow me, it's about serving and sacrifice. And it says in Matthew that a lot of people got disgruntled with Jesus when he began to call for them to serve him and to sacrifice alongside him. And Jesus turned to his disciples. Look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 20. Jesus, brokenhearted that the crowd would not respond to him, looked at the 12 men that were following him in verse 15, and it says, what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter is the one that stepped up 
and boldly, accurately said this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Very messianic language here. For 3,000 years, the Jewish people have been hoping and longing for the Messiah to come and to fulfill the promises that God had made to Abraham. And that was what they were holding on to at this point in their history. It was darkness was all around them. Roman occupation, complete darkness had swallowed up the the nation of Israel, but somehow they held on to those promises of Abraham that God would fulfill his promise. And Peter is the one, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that had the spiritual bandwidth to really understand that he was standing in front of the promised Messiah. You see, Peter, this is the the high point for Peter. This is the point where Peter was close to God. He had ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to understand, and a heart to really believe. And this is all that God's asking from any of us. Ears to hear, will you say this? Ears to hear, and eyes to see, a mind to really understand, and a heart to truly believe. This is why God was calling his disciples, who it was Peter, the first one to step out and say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen to what Jesus says. Now pay very careful attention to hear to what Jesus says in response to Peter. It's very important. Now the problem with many of us who have read the Bible for 20 years, you know how this story ends. You know the ending to all the story. You know Jesus comes out of the tomb. You know all the endings. But I want you to listen to this story this morning. If you're a longtime believer like I am, I want you to listen to this story with a fresh set of ears this morning, will you? And listen to what Jesus says in response to Peter's declaration. And Jesus replied in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. You didn't believe it because some pastor told you. You didn't believe this because of some book you read. No, this was given to you by the Holy Spirit and you were paying attention You were listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And Peter, I'm so proud of you because you were listening with spiritual ears for spiritual words. This is what Jesus was saying. He said, it was revealed by my my Father in heaven. Verse 18, now I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on people like you, on people who will believe like you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to birth a congregation of people that's going to pronounce my coming kingdom to the whole world. On people like you, Peter, people that believe like you, who understand like you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Now notice what Jesus says. Jesus turns into a prophet here. He begins to say something very unusual to Peter. He says, Peter, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of hell, the gates of Hades, which is another word for hell, Hades, will not overcome what I am going to do through you. And then verse 19 is even really more peculiar. He says that I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. So Jesus says two things to Peter. Now Peter, right now when the sun's shining on your face and the spiritual winds are at your back, when all seems well between you and me, I'm proud of the fact that you know I am Christ, the son of the living God. But right now, in this moment where things are going great for you, understand that not every day is going to feel like today. And in the future, when you find yourself in a very bad place, when darkness seems to overwhelm you, I want you to remember two things. The gates of hell will not overcome you. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in 
heaven. Turn with me now to Acts chapter 12 because everything Jesus said is about to happen. A lot happens between Matthew 16 and Acts chapter 12. Later on, when Jesus is about to be crucified, he gathers his disciples around him and says, and listen guys, just as I've been telling you, they're about to arrest me and crucify me, but don't lose heart because on the third day I'm, I'm coming out of that grave. In the meantime, though, all of you will abandon me. And Peter goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, Jesus, now, I know these other knuckleheads, they might abandon you. But remember, I'm Peter. I'm kind of a big deal. And on this rock, you're going to build your church. Remember, the gates of hell will not overcome me. So these other guys may run for their life, but I'm going to be right here beside you to the very end, always. Jesus pulled Peter closer to him and said, listen, knucklehead, (laughs) on this night, you're going to deny me three times. Peter goes, no, I will never deny you. I would never walk away from you. So they come and the soldiers come and arrest Jesus. And it was Peter in a moment of passion, grabs a sword and cuts off Malchus, the little servant guy's ear. And Jesus has to do some surgery right there, put the ear back on. Peter still in his mind is never going to abandon Jesus. But sure enough, when Jesus is brought to trial and they begin to make accusations against Peter, Peter begin to slide out to the distance, begin to separate himself and then people begin to recognize him hey Peter you're that fisherman that Jesus called to follow you hey I don't know this guy hey you're one of the Galileans that followed this guy oh I I don't know this guy hey I recognize you you walk with Jesus I don't know this guy rooster crows all of the words of Jesus come back to Peter and Peter weeps sorrow his heart is broken that yes he also denied Jesus do you understand something Peter went from high point I mean, the, the, the top of the mountain, you are Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church to denying him and walking away from him. Sounds like our lives, doesn't it? Sounds pretty familiar to most of us. And Peter, after Jesus comes out of the grave, the first person, one of the first people that Jesus tracks down is Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A second time, Peter, do you love me? I do love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Yes, God, I love you. Then tend to my sheep. He keeps saying this over and over to Peter. So Peter leaves his fishing boat and goes back with the disciples in Jerusalem. And Jesus stands outside the gates of Jerusalem one day and ascends into heaven. But before he ascends, he says, listen, all of you go to the upper room. Wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and all over the world. But do not leave Jerusalem until my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And to Jesus' surprise, they did exactly what he asked them to do. They go to the upper room. It's always a surprise, believe me. So they go to the upper room and they wait there and they pray there. They're fasting together. Suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon them like a rushing mighty wind. They begin to speak in languages that they had never spoken in. The crowds of people outside begin to hear the gospel, the story of Jesus in a language just like their own. And it says that cloven tongues of fire fell upon them. And guess who was picked and chosen to step out and preach the first sermon in the first church? Peter. Peter steps up and boldly proclaims The kingdom of Jesus, the coming God, thousands of people get saved. The church in Jerusalem is birthed, and Peter right away becomes the leader, the primary voice, the central figure of the local church in Jerusalem. Later on, they're walking into the temple, and there's a blind man, a crippled man standing right there or sitting right there, and it's Peter and John that reach out and, and talk and say, silver and gold, we don't have, but what we do have, we give you to rise up and walk. This guy just stands up and walks. The whole city is buzzing about Peter and Jesus. 
Acts chapter 12, though, everything's gone horribly wrong. James, the brother of John, has already been killed by evil Herod. Herod was a brutal dictator. And he, re- he realized that, hey, this kind of pleases the crowd, so I'm going to kill somebody else. Who can we kill? Oh, Peter, let's take out the top leader of the church, and this, this movement of Jesus now will disband. And so Peter is arrested, and they're going to wait till after the Passover. Now Peter is in a prison cell. Now think about this. You're the, you're the church of Jerusalem. Put yourself in Jerusalem under Roman rule where everything you own can be taken at a moment's notice with no trial, where you can be executed for any kind of insurrection. And one of your leaders is already dead, and your primary leader has been in prison, sentenced to die. And Peter, can you imagine what Peter's thinking? What about all that build upon the rock? I thought I was Peter. I didn't think the gates of hell would prevail against me. But somehow, some way, Peter settled his soul because I want you to show you something in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church that the Holy Spirit had birthed was earnestly praying to God. Can I stop here and make one, one point? There's a difference between a church that prays and a praying church. This church, I was here when the church was birthed. This church was birthed out of prayer, through prayer, because of prayer. There's something powerful about belonging, not to a church that prays, but to a praying church. And Gateway is a praying church. I belong to a praying church. And it saved us. It's resurrected us. It's the reason we're still standing today because somewhere along the way, New Life Church became a praying church, not just a church that prays. We have 14 prayer meetings a week right now that people come to are led mostly by high school and college kids. And we have decided we are going to be a praying church that we cover everything in prayer. And it's in that atmosphere of a praying church that God does his best business, his best work. It's the kind of church you belong to. I don't know if you know that or not. Verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Now, this was not the first time Peter had been in prison. You can look back in the book of Acts. Peter was already in prison, and he had already had one escape episode. And this time, so they triple and quadruple the guard around Peter to make sure he doesn't escape. And it says that he was sleeping between two soldiers. Now, just think about this practically, okay? You're in a prison cell guarded by stinky Roman soldiers in a bad prison. This is not a good prison, a bad prison. And the next day, you're supposed to die. That's not a night you're going to sleep. Peter not only was asleep, he had one of those mouth-wide-open, drooling kind of sleeps. He was deep, post-turkey, second quarter of the Cowboys kind of sleep. (laughs) You know you were asleep. And (laughs) And it says, suddenly... An angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell and Peter still did not wake up. That's how asleep he was. I, listen, every time an angel's come into my bedroom, I've, I've, it's waking me right up. I don't, I don't have any trouble waking up. Every single time it's happened, which is none. But it, it, it would wake me up every time. And it says, not only, so a light shone in the cell and still Peter was asleep, so he had to strike Peter. He struck Peter on the side to wake him up. Whack! Woke him up. How in the world could Peter be so asleep? Because Christ is the king. Christ, the Lord, is the Messiah. So I might as well sleep tonight. The peace of God that rules and 
our hearts and minds guards us. It says, quick, get up. And, on, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. Whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. The chains fall off of Peter's wrist. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And the angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison, through gates, through jail cells. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was in a dream. He thought he was seeing a vision. And they passed the first and the second guards. And they came to the iron gate leading to the city. Now stop here for a moment. This makes no sense. Have you ever read this? This makes no sense. He was probably held in a Roman garrison outside the city walls. And so when you, he suddenly was now liberated from the, the garrison. The last place you want to go back into is the city. If, if there's any escaped convicts in here, they'll tell you, you don't run to the place where the police are. You run away from them. And so here he is, Peter's gotten this freedom, this liberty. And instead of running for the Judean hillside, running for the wilderness, the angel sent by God leads him to the city, into the city, where there are more Roman soldiers. I came here with a very simple message. Some of you have spent way too long outside the city gates when your destiny is on the other side. The enemy has come and convinced you. I had a lady tell me just recently, the enemy has convinced her that she can't do anything remarkable for the Lord. You see, this is the jail cell the enemy wants to put every one of us in. He doesn't want you back in the city. You know why he doesn't want you back in the city? Because that's where he's called you. Why would Peter go back into the city? Because that's where he was called. And you'll find him in this story preaching the next day, proclaiming the Christ, getting busy with his assignment. So I've got good news and bad news. God has a beautiful and dangerous call on every one of your lives. You cannot play it safe and follow Jesus all every day. The safe thing was for him to flee to the Judean hillside, to hide out in a cave until everything calmed down. But God says to Peter, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome you. And to prove it, I'm going to open the gate and send you back into the very place that is the most dangerous for you. But I am with you always to the very end of the age and do not be afraid. And the gates of the city open up without any human help. And listen, this is not the gate to your grandmother's garden. These are iron gates, military gates designed to keep armies outside. And these gates open up and Peter walks in. It opened up for them by itself and they went through it. And when they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. I know exactly what it feels like to be in those spiritual prison cells. I know what it feels like to have the darkness surround me and I wondered if I'll ever get out of this place. A few weeks ago, I was invited to Newtown, Connecticut to speak at a church there and to visit with some community leaders in Newtown and if you follow the news, you know that Newtown, Connecticut, almost a year ago, was a place where a young man went into an elementary classroom and killed 20 first graders, a teacher, and five, six other people in that school before killing himself. It's an awful. December 14th is the one-year anniversary of that tragedy in Newtown, and we should be praying for the people in Newtown. 
When I went there a few weeks ago, literally, I drove in, I flew into New York City and drove over to Newtown. And as you go into the city, you can feel the heaviness, the spiritual heaviness over that place. Their hearts are broken. They just buried 20 of their first graders. Some of them attended this church that I was called to speak to. And I was there with their pastor and their leaders. And they, they looked at me, and here's the, their only question was this. Brady, will you tell us it's going to be okay? Can you tell us what's next for us? You see, six years ago, a little over six years ago, I had a gunman come on my campus after church on a Sunday morning like this in December. Opened fire, killed two of my teenage girls. And I stood there and prayed over their mother as a their, their bodies were being sent to the hospital. Her, their mother was covered in blood. I was there. I, I just left here. I was the pastor there for 100 days when it happened. I'm a part of a club that nobody wants to join. And I looked at that congregation in Newtown a few weeks ago, and I said, listen, I know right now you feel like you're in this prison cell. You've got to hold on to what you believe. Right now is not a time to figure out all the answers to the questions. Right now is a time to declare what you know to be true. And what I know to be true is that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen, if the sun is in your face and the wind is at your back right now, if everything's great in your home, and I hope that it is, and I pray that that's a long stretch of time for you, right now is the time in the good times, the good seasons, to wrestle to the ground what you really know to be true. When, tr when trials come, when difficulties come, when storm clouds rise, that's not a good time to figure out what you believe. Right now in the good seasons, in the, in the prosperous times, like, like Peter said, when things are good, when everything looks great, this is when I need to know what I believe. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. How could Peter fall asleep in that cell that night? Because he wasn't wrestling with what he believed. He already knew what he believed. If they come the next morning and take my life, I'm going to spend eternity with my Savior. If they don't, I'm going to get busy going back into the city preaching the gospel. One way or the other, I'm going to win. So I'm going to go to sleep tonight because there's no need to stay up worrying about all this. I know what is true. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's it. I told that church in Newtown our own story at New Life. Just a few days after the shooting, our lives were wrecked. I mean, I was, I really felt like that I was just a hospice pastor called to give a once great church an honorable death. I really felt that's what God had called me away from Gateway, away from you to go up there and do, is to spend a season of time helping them close that thing down because there's no way we're recovering from that. A few days after that shooting, we gathered as a church and I didn't know what to say. I stood in front of our congregation and all we could say was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We don't know the answers. Why did evil come and strike good people? Why all those questions were swirling around in our minds and they're good questions. There's nothing wrong with asking them. But in the moment of crisis, it's not the time to try to answer that. You have to answer that before the storm comes. And I remember standing in front of our congregation and we begin to sing this song. We will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We will overcome. Everyone overcome. Just a few months ago, that song went number one all over the world. That song is being sung from the four corners of the earth right now, but it started in a prayer meeting at New Life Church where that song was written in our darkest moment when we didn't know what to say, what to do, what to believe. John Egan stood on the, on the stage of the World Prayer Center and began to just 
strum his guitar and declare that passage out of Revelation to our church. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We begin to sing that three days after the shooting on our campus. And I remember our congregation kind of leaning forward like this, and I saw holy defiance come back into our church. And we said openly that night, you will not overcome our church. You will not overcome our congregation. The gates of hell will not overcome us. And whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever we loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And we stand here today believing that. Let me tell you what happened. I wish I could say some magic pixie dust got settled over us and immediately we felt better. It did not. It took years of believing and trusting and praying and staying together. But in the, just in the last couple of years, we've planted churches all over the United States. We just paid cash for an apartment complex for homeless single moms. I have no idea how we paid for it. We just got a $400,000 grant from a completely secular organization to remodel it. We just got $100,000 from the state of liberal Colorado to take care of the women in our women clinic. God has released his blessing over us over and over again. Listen, I stand here today as a testimony of something. I just came to encourage you. The only reason I came here this weekend is to encourage you. Some of you feel really dark right now, wondering if the jail cell is your home. I've got good news for you, it is not. If you've made up your mind like I have, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, I got good news for you, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Will not. People are fascinated by our story. In fact, if you wanna read the story of the new, new life. We're on the front cover of Christianity Today. It comes out next week. You can read the whole story, the cover story on Christianity Today. People are looking at us fascinated because we're a miracle story. We have no, I have no idea how it happened except that God came into a group of broken people and fulfilled a promise to us that if we would believe him and not waver, if we would stay strong and believe that he would come to our aid and he would be a miracle among us, and that's exactly what's happened at New Life. And I'm telling you, it'll happen in your marriage, it'll happen in your home, it can happen with your prodigal son and daughter that's away from you. The gates of hell will not prevail against you if you believe he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Would you stand with me this morning? Stand with me right now. Now, we're about to do something that might be a little different than what we do here normally, but we're about to sing a song. We're going to sing this song together, We Will Overcome. But I don't want you to sing it as a words on the screen. There's going to be words on the screen. Do not sing it as a song. Will you listen to me very carefully? I want you to declare it. I want you to pray it. And maybe right now everything is awesome at your home, and I, I pray that it is. But I want you to pray for your brothers and sisters around you. Everything may not be right with everyone around you. And I want you to pray this over your city. I want you to pray this over your family. Not as words on the screen, not as some song, but as a prayer of faith. We will overcome. And I want our altar ministry team to come on down forward. I told Pastor John I was going to do this. Altar team, I want you to come down. If you're here today and you just need someone to agree with you, you need someone to believe with you, you need someone to pray with you and agree with you that we will overcome, come let us pray for you. But let's sing this song as a closing prayer this morning. Come on, sing it with me.